The following program is brought to you by the 511 Media Group. This program is available on iTunes, Spotify, the 511 Media Group YouTube channel, and 511mediagroup.com. What is going on, Spookles and Witches? We are back for another episode. Uh, before we get into it, there's a couple things I gotta mention at the beginning. The first being that we have the privilege to work with um, a woman named Yurita. She owns the Witches Beauty Parlor, and it's a makeup line. It's cruelty free. Uh, she makes everything herself, and she is on Instagram. Uh, TikTok. She makes videos about all the different products and recently um, her newest collection coming out very soon is the Serial Killers lip gloss collection. Ooh. So she makes all of them based on some kind of fact about the different serial killers. Right now she released something about Ted Bundy uh, and it was a yellow for the Beatle. Okay. Um, Jeffrey Dahmer was like this beautiful like orange glittery color and it was because it's his favorite color and she has a whole <laughs> line coming out but she basically does all these different horror icons and her pot her products are super popular but um yeah so she uh can be found at the witch's beauty parlor on tiktok instagram and their website is the witch's beauty she has a code on her tiktok page so go check that out and if she gives us one to put in we'll put it in the bio um but yeah she's really cool so go check it out and she's gonna have us on her page so go give it some love if you're listening um <clears throat> and the second thing that i have to address is we are doing creepypasta stories today yes. And um, the we are continuing some of the ones from the first episode we ever had. So if you haven't listened to that one, the first two stories are from that one. Um, and he also made an update to his stories. So it might have changed a little bit. Um, but we're just going to kind of work with it. Um, and these are the man in the basement takes one step closer every week stories, which I'm enjoying so far. Um, and that's by Polterkites, and we will link it in the bio again as before. Um, so, yeah, he just wanted to make sure that we and uh, the audience knew that he updated it a little bit. He revised it. Um, so, yeah, so I guess we okay. can get started into this. Yeah. Um, we left off last time where he met the son of the dad that lived in the house before, and the dad walked in. So that was where we were at the in the last dad. one. The well, it's he's dead to him basically. Yeah. They don't talk anymore because <laughs> he's crazy. Um, <laughs> so we left off on that. So let's just get into it. There's no other way to get into the story. Rule number six to others, the intruder will appear as a mannequin or a rubber dummy or a coat hanger, etc. Do not let guests near him. What exactly does others mean? Mitch left the diner shortly after his dad showed up, but before he left, I asked him about being the so-called other, about why the intruder appeared as a coat rack. He just shrugged and said, rules aren't set in stone. Like, that's helpful. <laughs> uh, just keep your distance, said Mitch, in regards to his father. He's not what he seems. Meeting with Mitch revealed almost nothing, save for the more unsettling questions. Why was his dad still alive? Why was his dad's bike parked in the driveway across the street? Was that even his dad? Was Mitch messing with me? Was the entity messing with both of us? Questions are over questions over questions. Rising dread lurked beneath the surface of everything. Like reality itself was nothing but a blanket draped over some unspeakable terror. A veil that might be torn away at any minute, any second. Highway 7 was emptier than usual. My blue 1993 Toyota hatchback reverberated with drones of rubber against road. A red sun crept around the day behind distant mountains. Shadows stretched longer as the day crawled westward. Against pastel pink skies, starling flocks moved like singular hive mind. Driving always calmed me down. Before I owned a car, I used to go for these long, solitary hikes out in the mountain forests. There's something about the constant motion, outside, alone, and peaceful. I was still committed to the rules, at least until I thought of something better. Regardless, my next priority would be get to get somebody over, a guest who actually wanted to stay. Maybe I'd run out a spare bedroom, maybe I'd call up an old friend. Easier said than done, especially considering the pandemic. Either way, I needed to get a handle on this. Up ahead, parked at the side of the highway, the red Kowalski motorcycle. I sped past before the image registered. Letting off the gas, I checked the rearview mirror. There it was. The red bike about 200 feet back. I pulled over, looked back over my shoulder. Only the bike was there, shifting into reverse. I froze. What was I doing? Mitch specifically told me to keep my distance. But my curiosity had other ideas. 
I breathed in. I exhaled. I shifted back and forward and started onto the empty highway ahead, stretching straight to the horizon. Just go home. I thought, go home, sleep. But I didn't listen. I shifted back into reverse and moved towards the red Kowaski. Lurching to a stop about 10 feet away, I stepped outside, squinting as the rising plumes of dust stung my eyes. There sat the back. Kickstand out, key still in the ignition. The helmet sat on the driver's seat. I'm no mechanic, but the air smelled like engine trouble. I glanced around. The highway shoulder went out for about 20 feet, then cut down into the grassy fields. About 50 feet down, someone sat at the edge of the shoulder. Mitch's dad, P.T. Carver. At least that's what I assumed from this distance. He sat with elbows resting on knees, staring off into the field, smoking. I stood there wearing my options, wanting to leave, but letting my curiosity win out yet again. I walked over, the smell of gasoline getting stronger with every step. A red jerry can sat on the hard-packed dirt beside him. I stopped about ten feet away. He glanced over, made eye contact, nodded, and turned back to the view. Car troubles? I asked. Bike troubles. Anything I can help with? He shook his head and took a drag off a brown cigarillo, vanilla favorite, judging by the smell. All my questions backed away. Sympathy replaced curiosity. Apparition or not, this man looked broken down, as though his life had been nothing but a letdown after letdown after letdown. He studied something out in the distant fields. I turned to see what he was seeing. Nothing. Only shimmering wind rippling through the flood grass. The last strips of daylight soaking back into the ground. He pointed. Off past the boardwalk, he said, about 200 feet. My eyes followed his directions. Still nothing. Down beside the water, he said. There I saw it. Three bears, brown bears, a mother and two cubs drinking from the water. I'd never seen a bear outside of zoos. I didn't even know they lived around here. Probably came down from the ballery. Nothing but clear suburbs up there now, he spat dryly, and, pass, and pressed his heel against the spit, and turned his ankle, letting out the cigarette. Just then, the mother bear looked up and glanced around as if she heard something. She held there a couple of moments, then went back to drinking. So you're friends with my son, he said, watching the bears all the while. No, not really. Boyfriend? No. Nothing wrong with that. Didn't say there was. He smiled sadly, clenched his eyes shut, and took another long, slow drag off the cigarillo. Acquaintances, I said. What's that? Acquaintances. Sure. People who know each other tangentially. He nodded. You moved across in the street, yeah? Yeah. Ignore the crazies. Crazies? Neighborhood's full of them, he said. Crazies catching. Yeah, I meant to ask about he raised a hand. Not right now. He said, you come by tomorrow and I'll answer any questions you want about any of that. Just not right now. He motioned towards the horizon as if it were only a moment of peace he'd seen in years. I nodded. He smiled warmly, took one last drag, and pressed the cigarillo down against the hard-packed dirt beside him, twisting it there until it went cold. Wiping ash-stained fingers onto his brown leather jacket, he took a deep breath, exhaled, and pushed up into standing. He produced another cigarillo and offered it to me. I shook my head. Just quit, I said. He shrugged, lit up, took a drag, and exhaled more vanilla-flavored smoke. You know what to do when you run into Baloo? He said, Baloo? He blinked in disappointed surprise. Grizzly, up close. Throw your hands up and make a lot of noise and yell, I said, half remembering something from grade school. He scoffed. That's a good way to end up with your head vice between bear jaws. Pulling another drag, he exhaled the smoke out through his nostrils. You run up into one up close, he paused. Just talk to her like you're doing here. Pretend she's an old friend or something. Long time, been a while. Tell her about your day, ask her about how she's been. His cold blue eyes filled with memories, drifting back and forth across the distant horizon as he spoke. All the while, you keep backing up, slow like, slow as you can manage. Not slow like you're trying to leave, slow like, huh, we both happen to be going in the same direction. How about that? He looked at me directly. Know the difference? I nodded. He turned back. Nine times out of ten, if she hasn't outright mauled you already, she'll follow. Curious. You just keep backing up, keep talking, his jaw tensed and then relaxed. When you got about 15, 20 feet between you, take off your backpack or your hat, whatever. He looked down at the dirt. Place that on the ground. She'll stop and see what's that. Sniffing, prodding. You back up faster now, but not by much. Again, he looked directly at me. The trick is to accept the fact that you're scared shitless. Accept that your head's lying to you, begging you to run, whispering every song in the Bible. You can do this. You can fight. You can run. He waved his hand as if to say, and so on. But you let that fear take control. He snapped his fingers with surprising loudness. That's it. He looked away, flicked a cigarillo straight down, stomped it out, and spat. Instead, you tell yourself, God damn, I'm really scared right now. 
you take that and whatever else is on your mind and you set it aside. Don't push it away. Don't forget it. Just set it aside and focus on breathing instead. Focus on backing up one foot after another. No shortcuts. He trailed off into silence. Soon enough, she'll lose interest and wander off. He met my eyes again. Usually. But if Baloo wants a fight, you go for the eyes, he shrugged. At least you'll go down fighting. A few long seconds passed until I realized he was finished. Thank you, I said, not really sure what else to say. I turned back to the field. The family of bears was gone now. He chuckled softly and stepped back. Look, you have any questions about any of this haunting bullshit? He met my eyes. You know where I live. Just come over. I nodded, still unsure if he was a puppet, apparition, real, or some combination of the three. I'll tell you just straight up. Don't take anything the neighbors say seriously, especially fucking Howie. Sure, I said, turning back from my car. One more thing. He squat down, picked out the red jerry can, and shook it. Empty. What? <laughs> the nearest gas pump was about three miles out. I brought the jerry can back full, and we drove home in the same direction. Despite my reservation, I liked PT. He reminded me of my old man. Rest in peace. Still, I don't know who to believe, and I couldn't shake the way his eyes moved outside the diner, like somebody had crawled into his mind and taken a quick look around. Maybe I was paranoid. Maybe I was seeing things. But no amount of paranoia explained the coat rack in the basement, which, first thing tomorrow morning, is what I meant to ask him about. I pulled up into my driveway and sat there a good moment before stepping out. Orange streetlights bounced over wet asphalt. A small gray dot of a cat or a raccoon shimmied down a neighbor's fence and slinked across a fresh-cut lawn. The house across the street was dark, and the driveway was empty. No red bike. Maybe Peyton took a different route back. I stepped inside and pulled the door shut behind me. When I saw the basement door, the weight of everything suddenly came crashing back. The building dread of my bizarre predicament. The door was shut, yet almost pleading with me to open it, silently begging me to check it to, and see if the coat rack was still there, see how much farther along it was. Turning away, I went for the kitchen, but I stopped in the living room and looked back over my shoulder. Fuck it. May as well get this over with. I spun around and marched over, yanked the door open, and flicked on the light. Taking a deep, slow breath, I stepped forward, one step at a time, and my foot slipped. I tripped forward seven quick steps and tumbled over headfirst into the corner. Throbbing pain shut out my leg. My shin was snapped, turned left at the sickening 90-degree angle. The bone inside pushed up against my skin like a swollen cyst. I almost puked at the sight. Fuck. I hissed, gritting my teeth and pushing back into the corner as the long, dark hallway stretched out before me. I couldn't stand. I couldn't even reach the second light. I couldn't think. Thankfully, I was in too much shock to fully appreciate the rising pain. For now. I, closed, I clenched my eyes shut. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. Adrenaline pushed me into a strange state of calm. I opened my eyes. Everything was slightly bigger now. My vision was adjusting, but the hallway was still clouded by a shadow. I pulled out my phone, turned on the screen to maximum brightness, and shone it down the hallway. The coat rack was still there, but closer now. About five feet closer, I guessed. And now a heavy wool cut hung <laughs> a heavy wool coat hung from its top. So much for one step a week. Tucking my phone away, I looked towards the exit. Time to go. Carefully shifting my body weight to avoid more pain, I turned over. A tedious process. I couldn't afford paramedics or an ambulance, so I'd have to crawl up the stairs and call a taxi. Besides, no way was I waiting down here with the only coat rack to keep me company. Why is this why is being so poor so expensive? Drip. A solitary drop of water fell somewhere in the darkness. I slowly turned to look. The coat rack's dim silhouette stood motionless. Fuck this. I was about to turn away, but something moved. Behind the coat rack, barely visible, something rose to standing. I only saw the shadowed outline of a person, the faintest hint of pinkish red skin, like the skin of a dying pig. I froze, paralyzed. My eyes adjusting bit by bit, seconds struck by like minutes. Suddenly, the wool cut shook as two gaunt yet unnaturally large hands emerged from the dark and wrapped around the coat rack. Gripping tight, the hands lifted the coat rack noiselessly off the ground. Silence. A quick step forward, a stuttering exhale, as though it took great effort. Then it set back down. More silence. Then the coat rack hoisted upwards again, and another quick step forward. The slick sound of wet bare feet pressed on and off the concrete floor. Another strained exhale, and they set it down. There was an almost hypnotizing, percussive rhythm to it, like a strange, dissonant song. Again, the coat rack was hoisted up, and I'd seen more than enough. 
Twisting to my side, I clawed my hands into the banister and hoisted myself upward, wincing in pain as my le- my snap leg drug uselessly behind me. More footsteps, more stuttering breaths. I was moving faster now, getting closer. I pulled myself forward, one tedious thrust at a time, gritting my teeth through the ever-rising pain. Fuck. Whoever was holding the coat rack was on the stairs now. I didn't look back. I couldn't look back. I kept pulling forward, inching closer and closer to escape. All the while, a terrible image burning into my head. The image of a long, ever-stretching arms with pig-colored skin sliding up the stairs, reaching for my shins, inching closer and closer until I gripped the doorframe with both hands and launched myself forward. Lurching into the stairs, I spun around and kicked the door with my good legs, slammed it shut with a satisfying finality. Foot on the door, catching my breath, I listened. Listened for the slightest movement below. Seconds went by. Minutes. Nothing. My racing thoughts finally steadied. Close fucking call. Time to barricade the door. (laughs) (laughs) That was scary. (laughs) I saw you look up as soon as I said something moved behind it. Because I'm a very visual person. So like when, when I'm hearing this story, I'm imagining I'm the main character and it's in my basement and it's happening. So like, I'm like, no. No, I did laugh when he broke his leg, though. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, oh, poor guy. He's stuck down there. Fucking dumbass. Watch your feet. Yeah, I was convinced he was not going to make it. I was convinced, like. I was convinced this dude was just going to sit there the whole time. Like, let's see how close it actually gets. (laughs) This guy, I swear, he's, like, so smart, but so stupid. And, like, I love that about him. And he's aware. He's self-aware. He's very he's self-aware like, that he's, like, he's I, stupid. I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to. He's <laughs> like, I want answers, but I'm not going to like it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I might die, but at least I know what happened. <laughs> it makes sense now that the coat rack doesn't just move by its yeah. magical little self. <laughs> yeah, because, like, I mean, magic's real and everything. I practice magic, but... A well, it's rack. not like Beauty and the Beast where, like, yeah. the coat rack's it's literally like he's alive. Singing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he sings into yeah. bed at night. <laughs> when he finally makes it upstairs, yeah, he's like, like night, darling. <laughs> that you want me to read you a bedtime story? <laughs> I was, because the way he was describing the creature that controls the coat rack or whatever, I was thinking of a Wendigo. I've been so, seeing a lot about Wendigos lately, yeah. so that wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. And I'm like, of course it's a Wendigo. They're everywhere now. <laughs> yeah i saw a video um just today actually where um someone had a, a one of the ring cameras outside and it showed this weird looking like human-like creature and then the next second it turns into like a dog and runs away Wendigo. <laughs> yeah. uh. i'm picturing like I don't know exactly what I'm picturing. So I'm picturing a mix between um, I was watching this clip that someone posted about Adventure Time about like a scene that really messed them up. And they're like in this treehouse, and these little like things are like taking off the head and the creatures that come out of like the costume are like these long like star like wispy shapes. So I'm picturing something like that, but pink. Yeah. And a mix between like Slenderman. Okay. But I, like a dying Slender Man, not like the <laughs> quick like you turn a corner and he's back in front yeah. of you again. Not that kind. Yeah. I was also I, I can't describe it. There's it's a cursed image. It's like it's a bald headed creature that's super bony and it's like looking at you. It's like the go to creepy pasta picture. I think they're I in feel a like bathtub. I've seen it. You've definitely seen it. I'm picturing that mixed with Wendigos and it's very terrifying in my mind and I can't get it out now. <laughs> Maybe it's just a really old creature and it's just tired of the shit. Yeah, it's like, you know what? Can't He's like, God damn it, can't you people just listen to the rules? Yeah, it's so like, I, can I don't stop like this. This, <laughs> this is getting ridiculous. Like, you people need to listen, okay? <laughs> it's probably some, like, body snatcher type creature. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen that movie because I'm terrified of aliens and I know I'm going to have uh-huh. another irrational fear <laughs> if I watch that movie. Have you seen uh, the Avatar The Last Airbender? Not fully, no. There's one episode where there's a creature that if you look into its eyes, it steals your soul and it can look like you. Okay, Medusa wannabe. Yeah, yeah basically. <laughs> I forget what it's called, um, but I feel like it could also be like something like that. Yeah, that makes sense too, considering like if the dad did get taken over by this thing, mm-hmm. it also kind of reminds me of the, the creatures from Strain. You know how like, 
you can only tell that they're a creature by the way their eyes blink. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> they blink like lizards. <laughs> yeah. So they blink normally, but they also blink like lizards. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing. The show's really good though. So if you haven't seen that, like shameless plug, but um, that's also something that I feel like reminds me of. It's like a mix of everything that yeah. I've ever heard it's of. Like, okay, are you scared? It's of some stuff? Stephen it's King that. type <laughs> bullshit that yeah. someone's like, yeah, this is scary. Let's let's make a story about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that's what Stephen King does. He's like, what's something so horrifying that I want to give people nightmares about? Yeah, we did a clown already. <laughs> let's mix it up. Let's a add coat all rack. Of- <laughs> a coat rack. <laughs> I'm not ashamed in this guy. Like, I no. really like the story. No, I just think it's funny it's because really we were scared of a coat rack, and now it's like a legit creature. Yeah, it's like okay, the coat rack's pretty scary. Let's make it worse. <laughs> this poor guy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, so we're moving on to part five. So if you're catch, if you're following along, um, I know my voice is very droning. I get it. I mix up my words every once in a while when I read. It's it's like when you read in a classroom, yeah. right? And you're always like, I'm not going to mess this one up. And then you mess up like four words in a row and you're like, shit, <laughs> <laughs> I messed up. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> All righty, moving on to part five. There is, let's see, there's eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 so far. It might be completed. Um, he's revising it, so I'm guessing it's done. So hopefully we can get through five, maybe six, if we have more time at the end. But we'll see. Moving on to part five. Like in a blue cast, I hobbled across the street on crutches. Forty-nine hours had passed since I fell down the stairs and saw the intruder in the basement. Or at least saw his hands. Regardless, enough was enough. I needed a concrete plan and a concrete answers to deal with this. At this rate, the intruder would reach my room in weeks, maybe even days. I still don't even know what would happen if he got to me, but I sure as fuck didn't want to find out. Time was short. I pounded on the neighbor's door and something inside moved. Through frosted windows down the hallway, the shadow of a door creaked open. Someone peered out, a blurry silhouette. I waited. I waved politely. They stood there watching me, motionless. Then they stepped back into the room and pulled the door shut. I raised my hand to knock again when the front door swung open. There stood P.T. Carver dressed in blue jeans and a brown shirt, looking even more Clint Eastwood-like than before. Brandon, he smiled warmly. I opened my mouth to respond but realized I didn't even know his name yet, just the initials. Paul's fine. He stepped back from the door and motioned inside. Paul. I propped forward out of my crutches and, wait, he reached behind the door and produced a box of disposable light blue masks. You don't mind, do you? He put a mask on himself and handed another to me. I put the mask on. Getting too old to risk it, you know, said Paul, stepping inside from the door. And once again motioning me inside. As I stepped past him, his eyes dropped to the blue cast around my leg. What happened there? Stairs. Ouch. (laughs) He shut the door. Despite the sunny day outside, it was dark in here. All the blinds were pulled shut and everything was cast in shadows, save for a couple low-energy desk lights and the thin beams of intruding sunlight. I looked around, my eyes adjusting. The interior of Paul's house contradicted my expectations, to put it mildly. It felt like an old wall street corner office. Fancy stuff. Gold brass light fixtures in the ceiling. Varnished oak walls with ornate patterns carved into the crowning. Expensive looking, moody renaissance paintings up on the walls. Never judge a house by its cover, I guess. There was no upstairs, only the first floor a couple bedrooms, and a door that led to what I assumed was a basement. A long hallway led to the back of the house, and I noticed the room which someone had peered out from. The door was still shut. The air still smelled like tobacco and vanilla. Not a bad smell, at least not to me. Tobacco scent always reminded me of my dad's house back when I was a kid and still somewhat happy. I kicked off my shoes and pressed my sock-covered feet against the floor. The carpet was out of place, greenish-brown, scratchy, worn down to the plywood in some areas. Please, Paul motioned me towards the living room. I shuffled deeper in the house. Feel free to take a seat, Paul nodded towards a long green velvet couch. I slumped down, immediately relief. Hobbling around on crutches was more tiring than it looked. Can I get you anything? Water? Coffee? I'm good, thanks. You sure? Water? No, thanks. Paul sat down on a wooden stool across from me, a stool that creaked with antique strain. Unstable. Crossing his legs, he leaned against the wall, studying me like a therapist studying client. So, I took a deep breath and exhaled. Last night, I saw him. Paul's face remained neutral. He shifted his weight slightly. Saw who? The intruder. I leaned forward in my seat. 
what I saw was no reasonable hands, barely human. I trailed off into silence. You take a photo? I shook my head. Good. Keep it that way. Why? He studied me carefully before continuing. You seen a doctor? No. He glanced down at the cast of my leg, then back up to me. I rolled my eyes. Well, yes. You tell him about... No. His face filled with strange relief. He leaned forward and rested his elbows on his knees. Do not tell anyone else about this, okay? Not even Mitch, you understand? Sure. Pauline back reached into the chest pocket of his shirt and produced a cigarette. He pulled his mask down to his chin. Lifting the smoke up to his mouth, he pinched it between his thin lips, took out a pack of matches, and a thump reverberated from somewhere deep inside the house. He froze, raised an eyebrow. Silence. He shrugged, struck the match, and then another thump. Paul shook out the match and tossed it onto an empty tin can set upon a yellow plastic crate to his left. He sighed, irritated. Excuse me. He stepped up and marched deeper into the house. I watched as he rounded the corner and disappeared into the foyer hallway. More silence. Now I was starting to wonder if coming over here was such a good idea to begin with. Things fell off. Sure, my initial meeting with Paul was surprising, to say the least. His long, drawn-out bear safety monologue was odd, but endearing in a weird sort of way. But when Paul showed up at the diner, Mitch seemed truly disturbed, like he'd seen a ghost or something even worse. Either way, I just wanted answers, and hopefully Paul would give me that. Hopefully. Right then, the sound of a door clicked open in the foyer hallway. It clicked shut. The faintest hint of a smell wafted into the room. The recurring smell of gasling and burnt hair. So settled, it might have been imagined. Around the corner, down the hallway, muffled voices. Arguing? I tilted my head and strained to listen, but... Sorry about that, said Paul, suddenly stepping into the room. No worries. With oddly pin-straight posture, Paul sat down on the couch across from me. A brown velvet couch with old-timey drawings of farms and ducks that reminded me of a sofa at my grandma's house. It's probably the exact couch you're imagining right now. The same couch I slept on after Dad's funeral. Only I didn't really sleep. I just lay on my back staring at the ceiling thinking, so that's it, huh? You stop existing and now everybody gets together and eats coleslaw and leftover turkey and that's it. Seems a little anticlimactic. You want answers, huh? Paul struck up another match. He lit up the cigarette and finally took a slow, satisfied drag. He exhaled. The smoke lingered around him for a moment and then slowly drifted back towards the dining room, passing through beams of direct sunlight. Why does Mitch think you're dead? Paul nodded, expecting the question. Reaching over to the side of the couch, he tapped the cigarette with his pointer finger. Small bits of glowing ash broke off and tumbled down into the tin can. Back when Mitch and Evelyn and his sister were kids, I had some pretty serious health issues. Still do, full disclosure, but I'm medicated now and that helps. He lifted the cigarette to take another drag, but stopped short remembering something. He lowered it. After my parents passed away, I started to believe something was stalking me, toying with me. He shifted uncomfortably in his seat. Started with small things at first. Bumps in the night, food gone banned before the expiry date. Things too small to talk about, but too big to just, you know, brush off. He met my eyes, then looked away and took another short drag. I thought back to the expired milk in my fridge, one of the many unanswered questions still festering in the back of my mind, sporadically buzzing past my ear like a persistent mosquito. Infuriating. Paul sighed. I'm a rationalist at heart, so the possibility of something unnatural, he waved his hands like a magician, that never crossed my thoughts. He paused again, glancing over at me, judging my reactions as he spoke. Now bear with me, because all this leads to a point, he continued. One night back in this, oh, one night back in 94, maybe 93, the kids and their mom were fast asleep. It was Thursday, so I went down to the basement for canned peaches and a late night beer. He pointed down at the floor. The light was out, so I came back with a flashlight, and he trailed off into silence, his cold blue eyes still locked on the floor. This time, somebody was down there, just standing there. Stood down the basement hallway with their back turned to me. I wanted to call out, yell at them, run upstairs, get my nine mil, but instead I just froze, like roadkill in the headlights. Paul looked directly at me. That's when it hit me. I realized that this intruder, over seven feet tall by the look, by the way, he was halfway stuck into the concrete wall. Like the mold was set around him and dried there. Paul shook his head like a chill went down his spine. The sight was so strange, I couldn't even think straight. He leaned forward and rubbed his forehead with the back of his thumb. A weird took that suddenly stood out to me. Mitch did the same thing, and so did Howie. 
Why? Things got really bad after that. The more I tried to fight it, the worse it got. The more I tried to make sense of things, he trailed off into a moment of silence. Of course, nobody else saw him. They just saw a stack of cardboard boxes. He paused again, looking around the room. One night, cold autumn night. I'd been dealing with this ever-enroaching nightmare for weeks at this point. I downed two bottles of Cognac and brought my nine mil downstairs, marched straight up to him. He made a gun with his fingers and pointed at me, pressed the barrel between his dead eyes and pulled the trigger. He mimed the motion of a gun kickback and lently dropped his hands back onto his thigh. But he didn't even flinch. Bullet went straight through him and ricocheted off the back corner and got me in the hand. He held up his left hand. The pinky finger was cut off short at the first knuckle. I hadn't even noticed until now. How did I miss that? Paul shook his head like it went numb and leaned back into his seat again. After that, Holly threatened to leave, take the kids with her. He rubbed the side of his palm against his left forearm, ruminating. I'd leave myself, too, if I could. Then his eyes lit up, remembering. Let me show you something. Paul pushed up from the couch. He strolled towards the door, I assume that led to the basement. I remained seated. After my last encounter with the intruder, I wasn't a big fan of stairs, or basements for that matter. You coming? After noticing my hesitation, Paul looked back at me the same way my dad used to, struggling to hide disappointment. Silent judgment. I cleared my throat, grabbing my crutches, and pushed to standing. Paul smiled a half-smile, pulled his max back up, and pulled a ring of keys out from his pocket. Humming to himself, he rifled through, unlatched a key, and turned the lock. No dice. He relatched the key and went back to, thrifting, er, to rifling, still humming all the while. Meanwhile, I stood back about ten feet, head turned, eyes locked on the mysterious room at the end of the hallway. The door was shut. You live alone? Yes. Well, yes and no. He unlatched another key and gave that one a try. No dice. An old friend lives in the room down the hall. I'm the caretaker, sort of. That's good of you. Yeah, well, I owe them one. I considered asking more, asking if they were a guest keeping the intruder at bay, but something told me to keep it to myself. Paul huffed, unlatching a third key from the ring, holding it up to his face. He studied it like a jeweler studies sus suspect diamond. He brought it down to the lock, pushed it in, and turned. Finally, the door clicked open. Third times, the Paul looked around, searching for words the same way Howie did. Shaking his head, he tucked away the key and stepped into the dark. He flicked the light on. Cold fluorescent glow stammered to life. Concrete walls and wooden steps smothered in layers of dust. Paul looked back over his shoulder. You good with stairs? He asked, looking down at my cast-covered leg. I'll try. He nodded. Use the railing. Turning back, he stepped deeper into the basement. I hobbled over to the top of the stairs. The flight of steps seemed longer than expected. Like it went down one and a half stories instead of just one. Paul stood at the bottom, another door in front of him. Though maybe door wasn't quite the right word. More like a bunker hatch, metallic and held shut with an arm-sized lever instead of a doorknob. I didn't want to go in the basement, but the weight of morbid curiosity compelled me yet again, every single time. Paul gripped his hands around the lever, braced himself against the wall, and pulled. His wiry arm flexed and strained as the lever slowly moved towards him. Gritting his teeth, Paul yanked harder and harder until finally the lever gave way, lurching backward suddenly. The metallic door itself shifted downward with an echoing clang, and clouds of dust particles burst out from the edges. Paul wiped his forehead with the back of his arm, squat down, and grabbed the bottom of the door with both hands, hoisting it upward. He pushed the door into a vertical swing. It pressed flat up against the ceiling. There was nothing but dark ahead. Pitch dark. Paul crept forward, and silence followed. Five long segments ticked by until a light flickered on. More cold, stuttering glow. You good? Paul's voice echoed up from the staircase. Yeah, yeah, I'm okay, I said, stepping forward. Going downstairs in crutches was even more tedious than expected. The whole precarious journey took about three minutes until, finally, I stepped into the basement. A long, narrow hallway led to a two-way fork in the path. Dirt floors, plywood walls. I've got an engineering-slash-construction background. Paul kept strolling forward. Built this place from the ground up. He stopped at the fork in the hallway and looked both ways, thinking... He looked left, he looked right, he looked left again. He shrugged. Gotta be this way. He pushed forward, and I followed. This basement's bigger than you think, he said, running the corner. Another narrow hallway stretched about 20 feet until I reached another two-way fork. Paul kept walking, and I kept following. I put up these walls, tried to build a maze around him, slow him down. 
He chuckled, rounding another corner. Then I put up the bunker hatch, and he trailed off into silence, running at another corner. Why not build a bunker directly around the intruder? I asked. Paul looked back at me and cracked a grim smile. Tried that. And? Didn't work, he said, eyes filled with a dark story. I didn't push any further. We entered a ten by ten foot by ten foot room. Paul stepped into the middle and turned back to face me. This, my friend, is the construction of a former madman. He looked around, taking it all in. Holly left me halfway into building it. He shook his head and spat at the ground. I don't blame her. He looked directly at me. Look, kid, he paused. You want all this to go away? You want to stop having these encounters? Work on yourself. I blinked. Are you kidding me? Half shrugging, he continued. I know how it sounds, but after Holly took the kids and left, it really kicked me into gear. I stopped drinking, got help, professional help, started taking meds and the right meds. And sure enough, all this went away. No more man in the basement, no more altered reality bullshit. I know it's the last thing you want to hear, but this, this thing, it's all in your head. Or at least, it's mostly in your head. You don't think it's a little odd that my hallucinations match yours? Paul nodded understandingly. What do you think set all this off? I shook my head. The note, Paul sighed. The note my son, well-meaning though he was, left on your doorstep. I just wanted to leave now. I was tired. Everything was contradicting everything else. You ever heard of Tulpa? He reached forward and placed his hands on my shoulder. I didn't respond. I just stood there, staring at him blankly, leaning forward on my crutches. Tulpas, he continued, are these things that don't exist until you believe they exist. The more you believe they exist, the more they exist, and the more they exist, the more they can fuck with you. If I wasn't so tired, I would have laughed. Okay? Look, I'm not saying that's what it is, but it might be what it is. Sure. Mitch, bless him, he still thinks it's all real. Thinks it got me years back. Thinks it's controlling me now, using me to trick others into war-shaping it or something. He smiled sadly. It's a different story every time. Paul shook his head. All I can say is this. It's only as real as you let it be, and the only way to stop it is to figure out what's wrong with your life and fix that. Something upstairs moved. Three quick, staggering footsteps. Paul glanced up at the ceiling, then back down to me. Ignore the intruder and follow the rules until you fixed your life or until you stop believing it. Then, you take that coat rack out past city limits, and you douse it in gasoline, and you burn it, okay? Okay, I said noncommittally. Finally, he pulled his hand off my shoulder. You need help with anything? I'm always here. You got booze problems, money problems, life problems, anything. He said, his eyes filling with sincerity. This thing, it really messes with your head. Makes it hard to to know who you can trust, you know? Sometimes it feels like it's almost jumping in and out of people, you know, controlling them. But it's all in your head. His tone was shifting now, almost sounding excited. Part of me wondered if the intruder was controlling him right now deriving twisted pleasure out of messing with me. I shook off the thought and another thump upstairs. This time, Paul acted like he didn't hear it. I, I should go. I said, stepping backward. Sure, kid, said Paul again, almost talking to me like I was his son. I turned around, and as fast as I could without tripping, I crutched my way out of the basement maze, up the stairs, and out the front door. Stepping out of Paul's house, I took a deep breath of fresh air. It felt like getting rescued from drowning. I exhaled relief. At this point, I didn't trust Paul or Mitch or even Howie for that matter. Nothing was stable and everything was getting worse. I hobbled back across the street and my phone buzzed to life. I stepped out in the middle of the road, pulling it out and flicked on the screen. Squinting, I held it up to my face. 27 missed calls. Mitch Carver. Of course. That is wild. Okay, I, I, I don't know who to trust. At all. Like, I feel like Paul is telling the truth, but what if he's not? What if he's not? I don't think that, I think maybe, so you know how there's this thing that says, like, medication can block out, like, like your spiritual side and, like, yes. things that could Like your control psychic that. powers? Yeah, so, yeah. like, if this thing is trying to control him... And he's on medication because he thought it was all in his head. Like, maybe that affected how the creature could control him. And he left. Oh. And is terrorizing everybody else. Yeah. I don't know. I 
I don't like, <laughs> like yeah. that's one of the story parts where like you want to read the next one because it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like his son well, called. 20, 27, 27 times? times. Yeah. Why, why? What happened? I'm wondering if like M- Mitch went to go check on, do we know the main character's name? Brandon. Oh, Brandon? Okay. Yeah. I think well, it, we found out like last. Okay. So what if Mitch went to go check up on Brandon, saw he was gone, and, like, the the creature answered the door or something? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Or he saw that he was at his dad's, and he's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. (laughs) Like, what if he traps him or something? Yeah. I'm like, Brandon, no, don't die. (laughs) But there's, like, a couple weird things that, like, everyone in the town does. Like, the weird, like, not remembering, like, basic things. Yeah. And then wasn't there, like, a head... Movement yeah, thing. they were like rubbing their forehead. Yeah. Like, are all of them being controlled? What if the whole town is being controlled by multiple Body entities? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the story. I love it, but it drives me Like, it's me not like super like scary, but it's just like the suspense of not yeah. knowing what the hell is going on. Yeah. Because I feel like this is also something that could totally happen. And it's not seeming to like attack women. Yeah. Do you notice that? Like, only Mitch I, and Paul and Howie are the ones that seem to have similar symptom-like things that he's noticing. Yeah, but uh, also, we haven't talked to any women. That's true. So, it's possible that women have experienced it, but if not, maybe the entity, like... It's trying to it's impregnate women. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> no. That's it. <laughs> That's how things spread. <laughs> Give my alien baby to the woman. <laughs> Plant my alien seed in you, please. Um, I don't know. It's like, it, it's giving me like Stranger Things vibes yeah. of like parallel dimensions and fucking demogorgons crawling uh, out of the walls. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. It definitely is a mixture of all things creepy and gonna kill you. Pasta E? Pasta E. Pasta E. Yes. Uh, <laughs> kind of love creepy pasta. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I I I haven't read any of these on my own, so I'm reading them for the first time. Like the one I sent you, I just briefly like scrolled through and saw if it had like exciting things to the story. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what's happening in any of these, especially the ones that are series. I haven't read past the first story or like a couple lines into it. Um so I'm reading these for the first time. So okay. I'm just as surprised as everyone else. Um and I I think it's it's really fun. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I skimmed through this one. It's, I work for the paranormal FBI. This one is on the Reddit creepypasta by T-Stash, I believe. Mm-hmm. That's how you pronounce yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. Um, we're just going to get right into it. My name is Lynch. Of course, that's not my real name. I work for the paranormal FBI, PFBI for short. No, we're not like the men in black. Those guys deal with aliens and the like. We deal with the strange things that don't come from space. I don't even comprehend what counts as from space anymore. The planet is literally made from crap from space. I'm getting off topic. I'm not one of the guys who goes risking their life capturing or killing things. I have a desk job. Sure, it's not as exciting as field work, but fuck that. I like to live, so I gladly take the mundane job. If I can call this job mundane. I deal with paperwork and legal stuff regularly. Most of all, most of what I read, I can't even breathe a syllable. Otherwise, all files telling of my existence get shredded, just like the Kia operatives. The job isn't all that bad. Occasionally, I'm assigned to script interrogations. We keep those records for any organization that has dough to buy a copy or rights entirely. Lucky for you, I found a few not-so-secret files that I'll tell you for free. I think this was my fifth time scripting an interrogation. Whenever there's a case that's too strange for the normal FBI and the like, we get called in. This case is about a woman in her early 20s. She was suspected of murdering her parents as well as countless others. Yet all the evidence found proved inconclusive. This was this was a pretty regular case for me. Okay, that sounded quite dark. I forget you guys haven't gotten used to stuff like this. Anyway, here's my report. One of our agents was assigned to interrogate Miss Selena. The specific interrogator we call blood eyes. I usually recommend not keeping any kind of eye contact with them. If you do, you've lost. Their gaze forces you to speak the truth. 
Suspiciously, Selena gained everything her parents owned after the day they were murdered on the night of her 18th birthday. I already talked to the police two years ago. They couldn't find anything that proved me guilty. I thought this matter was settled. We know. What we, what we want, however, isn't anything that can be pulled from official evidence. They like to pretend these kind of things can be explained away with logic. What I want to listen to is what really happened from you. I can't tell that. I can't tell that. You'll just throw me in a loony bin. I'm not crazy. I know you're not. Someone crazy couldn't be this meticulous. I didn't do it. The interrogator's eyes changed from their usual dark green to a bright red. They stared into, into Selena's eyes. Then tell me what really happened. Selena drew in a sigh and shuddered. Fine. Fine. I hate retelling this. It was Friday night, my 18th birthday party. My parents let me have a huge sleepover with my friends, as long as there were no boys there. We were loud as hell, yet my parents never came out of their room to keep us quiet. A couple years before, I found out that they had soundproofed their room. You can probably guess why. Rachel, my best friend at the time, has snuck a bottle of tequila from her mom before heading over. After having a bit, a small glass, I started to not remember clearly, just bits and pieces. Courtney had admitted to breaking up with her boyfriend earlier in the day. She cried, then laughed, then cried again. Stacy and Amanda played Mario Kart. I kept losing to them. Apparently they have older brothers. Apparently having older brothers had its advantages. We all fell asleep around two in the morning. Selena shifted in her speed in her seat before continuing. I woke up to the front door being pounded on by Rachel's dad. My parents didn't answer it, so I did. He was furious with her and grounded her for a couple months. Stacy and Amanda left a few minutes later. Their boyfriends were playing against their older brothers in a football match later that afternoon. Courtney was the last to leave. She helped me clean up everything. While finishing off the last few drops of tequila, after a half an hour later, she was picked up by her mom, leaving me alone at home. The night before, my parents both told me they had to work. I went to go check the mail. On the way, I found both of my parents' cars in the driveway. I was too confused to notice the shattered glass on both driver's side doors. I simply thought they had slept in, or had huge migraines, or had a hungover. I went upstairs to look in the room. I knocked several times. No answer. I didn't hear them snoring through the door either. She began to tear up a bit, taking a few de deep breaths before continuing. I opened the door, and there they were, covered in their own blood. I called the police. They got there a few minutes later. I told them about the party, about the booze, about, about the shattered glass. They bought me in for a suspicion of murdering my parents. Selena bound, began to pound her fists on the table as she spoke. I couldn't comprehend why they suspected me. I had loved them all my life. How could I do such a thing? She took a few minutes sobbing. I glanced over at her, and I couldn't tell if it was an act or not. As insensitive as that sounds, I've seen too many fake tears that resulted in a bloodbath. She wiped away her tears and continued. It was after half a year of countless interrogations and so many reporters not leaving me alone that I couldn't take it anymore. I needed some help, so I went to see my boyfriend. It had been a while since I last saw him. I had practically abandoned him. So I go over to his house like I used to when we were back dating. I just needed the one person who felt like my last pillar of support. I knocked on his door a couple times, which was a bit odd. He usually answered quickly. When he finally opened the door, he looked surprised, shocked even. I asked him if I could come in. He told me that it wasn't a good time. That's when this blonde bimbo wrapped her arms around his neck and kissed him on the cheek. She had the audacity who, to ask who I was. I just blacked out after that. The next thing I remember was heading to my car with bloodstained clo clothes stuffed in my bag. I didn't feel anything as if my head was completely clear. It felt like the entire time it felt like that the entire time I drove home. I burned the bag along with the clothes and went to bed. The next morning I woke up screaming. I could finally feel again. It was terrifying. Things like that happened more often afterwards. It was as if I was being piloted by someone else. Someone very calculating and precise. It took a few months before I remember these blackouts, before I could interact during them. Over time, I began to enjoy it. It was like a thrill of excitement. I began looking for trouble just to feel anything other than boredom. The police never caught on, but you guys did. Selena sat for a few for a couple minutes just staring at her interrogator. They finally cleared their throat and asked her one more question. This pilot you speak of, it seems you've gotten used to its effects. Can you control it? The lights in the room flickered a bit, causing me to jump a bit. One of Selena's eyes had become absolutely black. 
in a voice, both her own and not, she responded, yes, I can. Rereading that made my skin crawl a bit. I can't even explain to you how much I wanted to run back then. Eventually, over time, I grew used to things like this. I'll be working on another scripting soon. I'll post next time I get the chance. Sincerely, your your friendly PFBI guy. Damn, Selena. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That, uh, Selena, are you okay? It it makes me think of, like, any of the superhero movies. Like, you don't expect the small, scared girl to be the villain. I just, like... But I, so, the first incident was the parents. Yes. But she definitely didn't know she killed her parents. No. And she said the only time she ever felt weird was after she had a cup of tequila. Mm-hmm. Was it something in the tequila? Yeah. Because <laughs> she didn't remember anything with her parents, but when it came to her, I guess, ex-boyfriend, she remembered leaving with a bag full of bloody clothes. Yeah, and she didn't remember it right away, so. Yeah, so is it possible she's, like, slowly learning? Is the other thing working with her, or yeah. is the other thing learning to control her better? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, who's controlling who? It's kind of like Venom. That's what it makes me yeah, think of. Yeah, definitely. It's like, are, are we Venom, or are we human, or are we both? Yeah. <laughs> because Venom could control him while he was still human. Yeah. Because he was still there, just kind of in the back of his mind. Yeah, I forget the word for it. Uh, dormant. That's the word. Yeah. Yeah. So we also have a part two for this one. There's um, a couple parts of this one, but I figured with time, introducing the first couple is always a good place to start. Yeah. And then, you know, we could pick it up back up in another episode or whatever. Um, it's 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 a lengthy process trying to get approval from authors. That's the big thing with Reddit is you don't want to get in trouble for copywriting. Mm-hmm. Every author has a right to their own work on Reddit. So basically they could get you to take down your podcast, which we don't want that yeah. because as fun as they are to read, we also want to respect the authors. Mm-hmm. So um, these stories were both given permission for us to read, thankfully. Um, but you know, it's hard to find new ones and I enjoy the ones we're reading so far. So it's not like I'm in a rush to find yeah. any new ones. And it also seems that our viewers enjoy them thoroughly. Yeah. I, I, the Poltergeist one is really popular. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about this one. I haven't looked at it in a while, but, um, they're definitely fun and people enjoy them a lot, obviously, as there's multiple parts. Um, <laughs> you do it for your audience. So mm-hmm. <sighs> what do we have for, uh, part two? Okay. Another PFBI guy. Hello again. Sorry for the wait. My superiors found my first post. They let me off with a warning. Since I left out anything too secret with my original post, I could continue. However, they decided to assign someone to keep watch with me to make sure I don't slip up. I'm not sure who they have in mind, but I'm optimistic of my odds. Anyway, my last scripting is still fresh in my mind. I'd love to tell you about it once I remember where I put it. I could try to retell it from my memory alone, but I fear I may miss a few crucial details. I did find one of my older ones, however. This was almost exactly a year after I started. Here's the scripting. Interrogating this specific case was Grunky. Not sure why he chose that name. Before he joined the PFBI, he used to be an avid hunter. He knew everything about the beasts of the world more than most. It, it's as if he could smell a lie the moment it was spoken. Sitting across from him was a man in his late 20s, Dwayne. His girlfriend, Sarah, had disappeared a few years before. Right after, he disappeared off the map entirely. He's been squatting in abandoned dwellings in the woods since then. You've been gone from the world for a long time, Mr. Dwayne. You seem tech-savvy for your age. I can't imagine why someone like you would want to completely abandon society altogether. Dwayne stared down at the table. What can I say? I just got sick of people, I guess. Grunky leaned forward. As silver as your tongue may be, your lies can't fool me. Now then, can you tell me what happened to Sarah? Dwayne flinched for a moment. She she left. She couldn't handle being with me anymore. Your fibs are getting you nowhere. I don't care how ridiculous the truth may be. I can't help you if you don't tell me wh- what that is, Mr. Dwayne. Grunky leaned back in his chair, waiting for Dwayne to continue. After several moments of silence, Dwayne broke spoke again. It was supposed to be perfect. I had planned everything two weeks in advance. It was our five-year anniversary of being together, Valentine's Day. Candles lit, turkey roasting in the oven. I checked my watch for the two 
dozenth time, Sarah would be home very soon, hopefully just in time for dinner. My hand slid in my pocket for the tenth time that night. The proposal ring was still there. Moments later, Sarah walked in. She was ecstatic when she saw everything. She walked to me and planted a kiss on my cheek. I asked her how work was. She told me it was a slow day. Soon after, we discussed, as we always did over dinner, about our day, plans for the future, hoping for advancing in our jobs. Time seemed to flow by so quickly. Being the gentleman I am, I cleaned up the meal. Sarah waited for me as she prepared for the evening's activities. She told me she was going to change into something more comfortable. My heart stopped at that moment. I dropped the plate I was finishing up, letting it shatter on the floor. I tried to stop Sarah from opening the closet, but I was too late. She noticed the blonde strands of hair poking out from my pile of laundry. She was furious with me. No more rage than even hell itself burned with her eyes in that moment. She asked me who I was cheating on her with. I kept telling her I had no idea. That's when she reached for the blonde hair and yanked it upwards. What she was pulling up wasn't a woman, but a severed head still dripping with blood. Sarah's face of utter horror mirrored the head's expression. She began screaming, trying to get away from me. The blinds were torn from the window, allowing the light from the full moon in. My body transformed into that of a feral beast. I couldn't control myself as I tore her flesh apart and and devoured her. It was several hours before I transformed back. I couldn't live with what I had done, so I ran. I ran to where no one would find me. Dwayne's hand kept fiddling with two rings that rested on his ring finger. The table was wet with his tears. Gronky cleaned cleared his throat you were going to propose to her that night yet you ended up killing her instead can you explain the head in the closet Dwayne wiped away his tears clearing his throat and continued a few hours before Sarah got home I was looking for someone to satisfy my hunger for when I transformed I found a homeless woman in an alleyway no one would miss her so I took her home and cut her up I had to stop right as I got to the head I almost forgotten to start dinner I had planned for Sarah and I I just figured the fumes from my laundry would hide the scent of the corpse. Apparently, I didn't hide it well enough. Dwayne finally locked eyes with Grunky. I assumed he was going to plead for his life to be spared. Look, I know what I'm guilty of. More people than those two women have lost their lives because of me. Just arrest me. Better yet, just kill me. A monster like me doesn't deserve to live at all. Grunky pondered out Dwayne's words for a couple minutes. I never mentioned anything about punishment or death, did I? You may be able to turn into a feral creature, yet you don't seem like a beast to me. H- how would you like a job instead? Dwayne's gaze locked with Gronky's once more. Are you serious? Absolutely. You have quite the unique ability we could use. You'd fit right in with our employees. I would advise to not become too attached to them. Death is more common here than in normal society. Well, deal. So it seems we've got another werewolf working for us. He was transported to another department the day after that. I'm not sure what happens to those who aren't in my department. Unless they die, then I get to see their paperwork before it's completely gone. I'll try to find that one scripting I mentioned before. Not a lot of places I could have left it. Anyway, take care. I'll be back in the near future. Once again, your friendly PFBI guy. I was expecting it to be a wig. Yeah, that's like, what I thought. He's like a woman, yeah. low-key. I thought like maybe he was in transition or a cross-dresser of some sort, something like that. He's like, no, I, I eat humans. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that at all. <laughs> kind of reminds me of Bitten. It's a really good show, okay. but... I mean, but, they didn't kill their partner or anything, but... <laughs> okay, um, different, but... This guy's a werewolf, and he just accidentally killed his future wife. It's fine. It's fine. How did she not notice, like, he was gone? Also, they were together for five years. How did she not know he was a werewolf until, I mean, does he still transform on the full moon? That's my question. How does he know what happens? Yeah. I mean, maybe, like, when you transform, you're still, like, your conscience conscious is still there's a lot of different ways that i feel like werewolves are just are portrayed yeah storytelling like they either completely lose themselves to the beast and they black out they Mm -hmm. have some control or they have full control they're just a wolf (laughs) yeah i've seen uh before that they're aware but they need to like snap into it to like remember people 
Mm. Yeah, yeah. But either way. Clearly, fuck Sarah. I mean. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> she didn't matter enough. <laughs> no, sorry, Sarah. Um, you were supposed to eat turkey, but instead it was you. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, we hope that you enjoyed that. Uh, we, again, thank you to Polterkites and T-Stash. We appreciate your story. We love telling them. And we hope you guys enjoyed this. Um, again, go check out Witch's Boutique um on tiktok and instagram she's great she's lovely very sweet woman um and we will see you next week